So we're in our last sermon on the set time. Do you remember what the other set times were? Can you remember the very first one? Go backwards. Last week was under the influence. What does it mean for us to be waiting for the return of Jesus, that we are to be under, to make the most of every opportunity? We talked about Pentecost. We talked about the ascension. So today we're talking about the return of Christ. Um, I got a fairly packed sermon, so I will speak fast. If I'm speaking too fast, just what is it called when you're behind a boat, James, and you need them to slow down? Is this what it is? This what it is? Okay. So, Jackie, I'll look for you if I'm going too fast. Um, I, want to read, I want to read all of chapter 3 of Second Peter. So if you want to turn to that in your Bible, I'll be reading from the New International Virgin, Version. <clears throat> and uh, the title... In your Bible probably says the day of the Lord, and that's the day Jesus returns. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. That was we talked about last week too, of being under the influence of the Holy Spirit and thinking correctly. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior to your apostles. He's referenced in the Old Testament, some of the letters of Paul. Above all, you must, un- you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of the time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be, ought we to be? You ought to live lives that are holy and godly as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's our mansion, folks. Righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this day, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Yeah which ignorant and unstable people distort. 
as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Be careful what influences you. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. We got our working. So in that passage, I've picked three things that are important for us to know. We could, again, this could be a whole seminar in the end times. We're not going to do that. We're talking about why he's coming back, not so much when. That's very interesting, but it's more important why than when. You need to know that. There's the return of Christ in here. There's a judgment of the world, and then we have a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth. J.I. Packer likens our relationship with God to that of a two-year-old with a parent who has the brains of Einstein. We can only handle so much. Small pieces at a time over time, consistently, and before you know it, there is some sense of understanding. So that's what Peter is getting at here. To try to comprehend all the fullness of this theology takes time. And God has to explain it in ways we understand. So, number one is Peter saying, you must understand. We all need to justify our behavior, right? We never, we, people that would say they don't say word, they just justify their behavior that it, in a certain way. We all have a need to do that. And so then our justification becomes theological. And in this case, it's like, well, he's, he's not true in his promise. God isn't who God said he was in the Old Testament. So we're just going to live the way we want. We're going we're to create our own religion, the religion of doing what's right in our own eyes, calling evil good and good evil. The religious, so to, to be sure, there is a delay between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. We're living in, the, in it. The mockers base their skepticism on the apparent lack of divine intervention in human affairs. That's an argument for today. God can't be good. Look at all the stuff he's let happen. It's horrible, and it is. It's absolutely horrible. So these people gave up their faith thinking this God is not a good God or he's not a powerful God. He, he doesn't keep his promises. Ever since our fathers died was a common euphemism for death that has been going on for a long time. This expression communicates the idea of a long time. They are saying that things have continued without change, and this is the foundation of their mockery or their unbelief. Same thing today. God doesn't seem to intervene the way the world thinks he should, and so it must not be true. He must not be true. But we read here, God will judge the present world just as he judged the former world. All the earth and the heavens will be destroyed and all things will be made new. The world as we know it is being sustained until a further time when judgment will come. So we must understand this. Number two, we must not forget a few things. And I think of Isaiah chapter 40, especially in verse 21. We'll get into this next week. It says, you must understand, do not forget. Have you not heard, do you not know? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow tired or weary. Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. And that's where Peter gets this idea that he gives us with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. <clears throat> this understanding of time, I'm going to hopefully come across to you that it helps us 
explain. There, there, you can't explain. There is no answer to the problem of evil and suffering. But it gives some insight to how we can deal, should deal, and think theologically about evil and suffering. Maybe you've listened to different theologians or apologists speak on how they think they've solved the problem of evil and suffering and why God allows it and all that. Like, I mean, they give it a good try. Uh, but there's not an answer here. This is what Peter's getting at here. So I like this quote. I don't remember where he got it from. It's not mine. Understanding the divine perspective on time. Time marks the beginning of created existence. And because God never began to exist, it has absolutely no application to him. Began is a time word, and it can have no personal meaning for the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Because God lives in an everlasting now, he has no past, no future. When time words occur in the scriptures, they refer to our time, not to his. We understand time as a succession of events. It is the way we account for consecutive changes in the universe. Changes take place not all at once, but in succession, time after time, one after the other. And it is in relation of after and before that gives us our idea of time. As the earth rotates around the sun, we wait for the sun to move from the east to the west. But God is not so compelled to have this idea of waiting. We say another day, another dollar. Time flies. This is taking too long. These phrases do not connect to God at all. They connect to us, and that's where we see suffering in its continuation as something absolutely horrible, and it is. I'm not downplaying that. But God says that was like a thousand years. Our last moment we had was like a thousand years to God. So these phrases are not in the mind of God. He is timeless. And back to, I'm going to borrow that little phrase we took from David Attenborough a few years ago. We don't have the sense organ <laughs> to understand timelessness. <laughs> we lack the timeless sense organ, so to speak. So God has set up this amazing system of time, 24 hours a day. Astronomers can predict when Halley's Comet will come next. They can predict solar eclipses. Why? Because God has structured even our, our stars and our galaxies to dictate to us what time it is. It's an amazing time system for years and seasons and days and nights. We know that in three months, it's going to get, start getting colder. We know when the warmest, the longest day of the year is. We know when the shortest day of the year is. Why? God set this system up. It's amazing. And this is one of the reasons when God came to Job and Job was saying, how can you let evil exist? He says, were you there when I set all this up? <laughs> Like, if I could give you an answer, and he could, God give, you wouldn't understand it. You, do, you have the brain of a, of a one-year-old. You can't comprehend this. God th sees things totally different. We don't have that sense organ, <laughs> the sense organ of eternity in that way. It's a reminder of God's eternality when we, when we think and go through our year, our seasons, of God's utter stable reliability in sustaining the universe. 
In comparison, human life is utterly transient, fleeting. It's like a mist, it says, and we are constrained by time. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has set eternity in our hearts. He has set timelessness in our hearts. And here sets both the glory of being a human being and the misery of being a human being. We are made for eternity, but forced to dwell in time. And that can be a tragedy of mass proportions for many people. All within us cries for life that has permanence. And everything around us reminds us of mortality and death and change. God has made us of the stuff of eternity in our souls. And it's a glory. And it's a prophecy yet to be fulfilled. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. We are made for another world, a different world, and it is still to come. The fact that God's time is not our time means we cannot judge God at all. Do you not understand, he says. Do not forget who God is. We cannot judge God whether God is delaying or not. Peter does not leave it as a total mystery and says that God is not slow in keeping his promise. He just says, coming. Evil and suffering will be dealt with. The return of the Lord, in fact, is delayed because of his grace and mercy. He wants all people to come to repentance. So that's why the delay. That's why more time. There's people in this room that need to come to repentance. God is waiting. Here, here is a 30-minute sermon on, a 30-second sermon on Matthew 24 and 25, which are all about the signs of the times, <clears throat> that if you want to, just YouTube it, and you can find lots of profs and pastors who've spent years figuring all this out. But here we go, Matthew 24 and 25. <clears throat> Here's the synopsis. Could be any time. <laughs> so always be ready. That's, you know, so let's not worry about the when and the how. Could be any time, so always be ready. Also in Matthew 24 and 25 says, make preparations for a long delay. God's motives for what seems to be a long delay is tied to his desire for everyone to come to repentance. Instead of delay and the scoffing that God is not doing anything about evil and suffering, what is happening is God's mercy is trumping it, if I can say that. His grace, his patience is trumping his coming back. Have you come to repentance? If not, judgment awaits. That's what Peter is saying. And God is waiting because there is seriousness to the judgment. He wants everyone. He doesn't want no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And as we read in Matthew 24 and 25, it says the gospel shall be preached to the uttermost ends of the earth. The gospel needs to keep going out everyone to hear. Now, if there was no judgment, then there's no big deal on the timing of the return of Jesus. But when Jesus comes, it's done. Judgment is here. Judgment is here. That's what Peter's getting at. So Peter does not engage in speculation about the timing of the events but rather he understands and teaches us that the final events of the world are motivation for proper 
Christian conduct? What kind of people ought we to be with these truths? Last week, there was a guest here from Switzerland. I think Walt Marg brought him. He was uh, a student uh, that lived here, an exchange student from, what, 25 years ago or something? 30 years ago. I didn't know his church background at all. <laughs> I talked to him afterwards. He said, why are you so passionate about what you're preaching? <laughs> Is that basically what his words were, eh? Like, why are you so excited about this? Why are you so passionate about it? I, I had to think for a minute, why am I? Why am I losing my breath besides being out of shape? What, what are the reasons I'm losing my breath? Why do you, what do you get passionate about? It doesn't always show. My, my personality is a little more extemporaneous, unfortunately, in many times. But it is. Other people can be very excited and not show it. But Peter, Peter, he's passionate about this. So do you think the Lord should come back? Guess what? You should be happy he's not because there's more people that need to come to repentance. He doesn't engage in speculation or the timing of the events. He says, while we're in this day of the Lord and it hasn't really finished yet with the return of Christ, let's conduct ourselves in a certain way. Peter affirms the terrible reality of the coming judgment and tells how, to, how it is necessary for the new earth and new heaven to exist. Because when God deals with evil and suffering, he, he's not half-hearted about it. It's all gone. Everything. Everything is laid bare. Everything is wiped out. Read the book of Revelation. He's not saying this so we can say, oh, now I understand what will happen. He says to tell us that this knowledge must have a direct connection to how we behave. It's not so, oh, now I know, you know, you read all the latest books on end times. Well, now I know when he's coming. So what? Peter would say, how does it change how you live? I don't care if you know the day and the month and the blue moons and the red moons and how it's all going to happen. What does it mean for you today on how you live, holy and godly, influenced by the Holy Spirit? He says we have to have this knowledge, and it has to have a direct connection to how we behave, how we live, what we live for, what we do with our time. Last week, making the most of every opportunity of the time we have here on earth. The scoffers followed their own desires and not God's. Their false conception of God's future plans had led them to live in a way that denied the Lord. That happens today. We all know people have given up the faith if they had it because they don't like God's patience with evil and suffering. A proper understanding of God's future should bring about an appropriate lifestyle. Let me add this. This information is not intended for us to be led into fear of judgment, but in hope for the new age. Fear tends to paralyze people rather than to motivate them. Peter goes on to great lengths to dispute these false teachers and scoffers, and his focus is on the new heaven and earth that is coming. But he doesn't deny what the judgment is. The structures of this age are temporary, and the structures of the new earth and heaven are permanent. When this day comes, what will really matter is the idea of living for him and not ourselves. Investment in that other world will be shown to be way more important than investment in this world. That's what Jesus talked about, right? Moth, rust, thieves can take and destroy what we have here. Investing in this age is investing in something without a future. 
Jesus said, I have a place for you. I'm going to go and take you there. It's going to be a new place of residence. It's not going to be a downsize. Some of us are in the age that are starting to think what it means to downsize. Some of you already have. But what it means is having the master bedroom on the main floor because of our hips and our knees and our ankles. Guess what? When we get our new home, our new residence in heaven, I don't care if it's 50 stories, right? We're going to have new bodies. We'll get into that in a minute. Number three, what does the promise entail? It is, is the promise is the home of righteousness. Hebrews 11, these heroes of the faith that are described in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, says they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were commended for the faith, yet none of them had received the promise. Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We get all excited about world-famous architects. We go visit their stuff. Get very excited about it. Get more excited about God, the architect. We get excited about mansions in this world. Most expensive listing in Vancouver ever. Apparently now it was in Shaughnessy. I think it used to be Chip Wilson's house. Chip Wilson has about five or six mansions. He's the founder of Lululemon. But one of his mansions, I think he has one up the sea to sky and has one in Point Grey. He bought three lots and built one great big mansion. We get excited about mansions. But you know, it seems a mansion doesn't satisfy the heart. Many celebrities and billionaires need two or three, plus the most luxurious shot in the world and the most luxurious airplane, and maybe even their own island to escort presidents to. The created order of things is not eternal. It's subject to upheaval and change. That's where we're living right now. Yet this should bring hope rather than despair for those who have listened to God's commands to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. This is the ultimate promise, and the removal of evil is the prerequisite for it to be attained. So evil will be removed 100%. Evil has so penetrated this world, we have, probably have no idea. And the return of Christ is God's final victory over evil. The goodness of God's original creation was marred by Satan, sin, and death. God has been working to liberate his creation from bondage and to reverse the curse. Romans 8 gives the idea that salvation is even for all of creation. The forces of chaos have been decisively defeated and the heavens and earth have been decisively renewed. That's what's going to happen at the return of Christ. God defeats the forces of evil, chaos, and death, demonstrating them to be intruders into his good world and overthrowing all the powers that they have overtaken. This is the new creation. A world without sin. A world without injustice. A world without suffering. A world without death. I can only imagine... Is there any earthly examples to give us a hint of what this might feel like? Well, it might be when you upgraded from a PC to a Mac, eh? Big difference. Automo automation, power tools. Any of you ever have to, and I don't know if you're old enough yet, so let me look at the oldest person here. Um, Do you ever have to go to the dentist when they didn't have freezing? Yeah? My mom talks about those days. 
they had a big house in Yarrow, and that was the place that the local dentists, if he, maybe they had itinerant dentists, and they would come, and this is the place. I can't imagine. So, big upgrade, heaven freezing. Heaven's a big upgrade. Adam and Eve abused their freedom and sinned, and God removed himself from the earth, except for special occasions. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the pivotal experience of God's presence. That was a set time that he came and dwelt on the earth, tabernacled with us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. That's what they said. God intervened. He came to earth in Jesus. Prior to the new heaven and earth, God's presence is focused on his throne in heaven as we, as we sit now in this time. When all evil is destroyed and his kingdom restored, God will move heaven to earth to live once again among his people. God's very presence is what is most new about the new creation. I thought it would be important to talk about what's not in eternity, okay? This new heaven and new earth. The sea. Doesn't mean you can't go yachting there. The sea is a symbol for evil in the Bible. It's a symbol for chaos, for floods, pounding waves. The sea just brought chaos and pain and death. And it says in chapter 21 of Revelation, there will be no more sea, no more war, no more terrorism. Number two, there'll be no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain. No matter how much stuff we can accumulate and holidays we can take and fill our lives with pleasures, there are still these things that hurt us in this life. We've all been impacted by pain and death. Creation groans along with us. All the things that can suck the life out of you will be gone. That won't be in heaven. We won't have the temple in heaven, the place where sacrifice took place. Right now, the Jewish people are getting all worked up to build a third temple because the second temple in Jerusalem got destroyed in the first century. Describe the, the, we are now the temple, so there's no new temple. The new heaven and earth will be the temple. God is dwelling among his people in person in heaven, the new temple. The city is laid out like a cube in Revelation. The Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was a cube, so the whole place will be a home of righteousness. Maybe you didn't know this. There'll be no sun or moon in the new heaven and earth. No need. God is there. I am the light of the world. Man, what will that be like? Another one, no closed gates, it says. Why? No border patrol. No border walls. Why? Because all the enemies, all the thieves, all the abductors, all the evil will be destroyed and won't be there. The reason you have gates on your gated community is for what? To stop thieves, evil entering in by car. <laughs> right? <laughs> the ways to get in there. But it says no closed gates. That's interesting. What, a, what, is, what symbolism to say evil will be destroyed, there'll be no thieves. Because thieves come at night, but there won't be any night. So they won't be there. Evil has been destroyed. No need to close the gates. Number five. 
the basic nature of heaven. What's heaven going to be like? The presence of God. Heaven will have no evil. Sin will not have dominion over us. The Lord's prayer will finally be answered. Psalm 73, the psalmist is complaining about the wicked, that they're always doing evil and getting away with it. They scoff at God. They remain at ease in their evil ways and their immorality. And they make the righteous people think that there's no point serving God because there doesn't seem to be any effect on God. He lets it happen. But then the psalmist goes into God's sanctuary, into the presence of God, the place where heaven and earth meet, and he sees a different story. Verse 17 of chapter Psalm 73. He says this, the wicked will not get away with it. And he finally understands their final destiny. There'll be no, nothing there to make us frightened, embittered, jealous, or angry. Nothing there, there'll be no hearts that are grieved and embittered and feel like there's no purpose in life. Heaven is a completely new form of existence. We will have his comforting touch, his glory, his light, his life-giving provisions, his personal presence, and his reward. Heaven is rest. Hebrews 4, 9 to 11 basically says, The pilgrimage is over. The completion of extremely difficult and toilsome endeavor is done. The end of the battle against the flesh, the world, and the devil is done. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom with the children of God. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says, in this world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Guess what, folks? That will be over. What rest will that be for our hearts? Heaven is glory. It's a picture of a new city, a new garden of Eden with a new river and the tree of life, which is now freely available to everybody. Number six, people. Have you not heard? Do you not know? Number one here, if there is a just and fair God, there must be an afterlife. You wanna, if you believe that you know, what's going on in this world right now is not just and not fair, and where is God? If we're going to deal with, un, with, with justice and righteousness issues, there must be an afterlife. The God of the Christian is a just God. And surely as a just God created a world designed for justice, our world reflects that injustice, but one day there will be justice. If this world is all there is, and there is a God, God is totally unjust. Scoffers are right. They say that today. God is unjust because nothing's going on. But there's another life. <laughs> That's where God deals with it. If this is all there is, God is unjust. But if God is just and this world ends for many without justice, this new world, heaven and earth, will give way to a future world where all things will be made right. This is the heaven hope that motivates people. There is no afterlife without the resurrection of Jesus. The afterlife will be an embodied existence, not just a spirity, solely kind of spiritual experience. We will eat. There'll be great banquets. We'll have fellowship with people that we know. The most common image for the Christian afterlife should not be harps and wispy bodies, but a city, a banquet, and God in the middle of it all. Heaven will be 
a place for our deepest joys and pleasures. The afterlife promises and lays before us the hope that we will experience joy and happiness at the deepest levels imaginable. In our love for God and for self and for others and for all that God has created, our yearnings and quest for joy and happiness and deep contentment is God's gift to us now. But someday it, it's going to be amazing. Right now it's a, it's, a, it's a growing reality, but we will be growing endlessly in the joy of God's own joy. God himself will be with us face to face. God could not look at God and live, but we will see God face to face. This is God's dream. <laughs> this is God's imagination fulfilled. And lastly, what kind of people ought we to be? Be people who are holy and godly. Because this is all true that Peter has described in his whole book, but particularly chapter 3. What kind of people ought we to be? That's a good question. Because I like it. It's what kind of people ought we to be? Not a what are we supposed to do or not do. What are we supposed to be like? What do we build our life on? What's our foundation? What are our influences? Talked about this last week. What kind of people ought we to be? People who are wise, not foolish. Make the most of every opportunity. Know what the Lord's will is. I'll ask the band to come on up. We're going to finish with a couple songs. Is this a serious message? It's calling us to repentance. If you don't know Jesus in this way that is described, God's calling you to receive him. To all who receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God. So during these songs, that could be a prayer you give to God. God, I, I need to repent of my wrong beliefs about who you are, what you're about. That one day you are dealing with evil and suffering. And I guess I have to wait. <laughs> Those of us who have been believers for a while, we need, to, we need to keep rolling. We need to keep going. We need to know what the Lord's will is. We need to be influenced by the Holy Spirit.